Uh, okay, we've got um, kind of a special thing today. Um, Ethan Keller is going to come in and give his testimony, and that's never happened in this class. Um, the reason it happened this time is because the two of the guys couldn't come that I normally grab, and so we had a vacancy, and I thought, let's get Ethan. Uh, I don't know about you, but I want to know what that guy's like, who, what he's like behind the scenes, who's leading us in worship. I want to know what he's like. It matters to me if a person up front has or has no integrity. I want to know. And so this is going to be an opportunity for you to get to know Ethan just a little bit. So he's going to lead the music, and when he walks in, I'm just going to step aside from wherever I am. Um, okay, so you heard the announcements. Men, I hope you'll take advantage of that men's retreat. I really do. I think it'll be great. Uh, I think Lynn may have mentioned, she's already gone, uh, that um, uh, Kempton... What's his name? Uh, uh, Kempis Hernandez. Did she mention that? Mm -hmm. oh, the pastor. Okay. Um, and that is. Uh, oh, okay. We'll pass this around. Starting here. That's the attendance sheet. Did she pass one she around already? One around. Oh, this is just an extra one. Oh, well, you're, she's way ahead of me. That's why I married her. Right. <clears throat> okay. So today we're talking about uh, unity, uh, specifically unity of doctrine. But. Um, before we get in that, just a, a little bit of review we talked about last week. I felt a little rushed. Uh, I took you through an explanation of what the church is and what the church is not. Um, it is not a club. It is not a service provider. It is not merely a location. And have we prayed? No. Lynn did not pray. I'm going to pray. <laughs> Better off when I pray. Lord, thank you so much for this time, this class, these folks who are um, taking their precious time to investigate us, um, uh, help them as they uh, think about where they want to be in, uh, involved in, in a local church. Um, and Lord, please give me clarity of thought as we talk about these great essential truths. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Okay. Hey, Dan. How you doing? Um, all right, so what is a church, what it is, what it is, what it isn't. Um, it's not merely a location. The church is both universal and local. And the universal church refers to the church worldwide and throughout history. And the local church refers to the specific local places throughout the world. Uh, in our case, obviously, the local church is here, uh, the community <laughs> church. Uh, we said the church is not an optional add-on to our lives but that our lives and the church ought to be inseparable. And I want to say this, at the front end of your membership, um, ecclesiology, the, the, the study of the church, is so important. And very few Christians have a good grasp of what the church is, what your role should be in it. Uh, I have this conversation with my son all the time, who's a pastor down in, in Texas, and uh, one of the great uh, heartaches of pastors is for people just to kind of step in and be out for a couple weeks and step in and maybe a couple more weeks be out. And, and, and we hear this. Um, well, I, want, I, you know, I, I was up late Saturday night. I need to sleep in. Or, um, um, and this is one that might step on some toes. Uh, all my kids are involved in soccer. They play on Sunday morning. Um, th that, that, I hate to say it, is not good ecclesiology. We, when I raised my five kids as a single dad, I, I centered everything around the church. Um, so if there was a soccer game or something that 
was, and I, I, of course, occasional. You know, I'm not talk. I'm not being dogmatic here, but if there, we we just worked around it. You know why? Because I wanted my kids to know, church is paramount. More than your soccer, more than your friends, and the same with us. Um, more than staying up late on Saturday night. Church is paramount. Why? Because this is the vehicle through which Christ brings honor and glory to himself. And the only way for the world to know who we are is by the love we show each other. And we can't show it when we're not here. We can't do one another's if we're not here. So it's really, really important that you understand that at the outset. And maybe you have a mm, take-it-or-leave-it attitude about church. Well, I want you to leave that attitude. <laughs> leave it. Um, take the attitude that says church is important. I need to be here. Um, you know, if it's hard for you because you're an introvert, um, do what Lynn and I do. I told you this last week, I think. We take each other's hand. We pray before we walk in the, in the church doors. And we say, Lord, please. I, I'm an extrovert, so I'm speaking to you introverts. <laughs> Take, take uh, your wife your, or, or your husband or whoever's in the car by the hand, pray with them and ask the Lord to redirect your attention away from yourselves and to the folks here. I look around the room. I know some of you have gone through some really difficult things. I want to be attentive to that, and you do too, and you can't if you walk in consumed with your own issues. Now, sometimes when I was a single dad and I walked in here, I was a mess. I was consumed with my, with my issues. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't know what, how my kids were going to be. So people needed to minister to me. But once I walked through that dark period of life, and some of you are in the middle of a dark period, once I walked through that, I wanted to gear my attention toward others. So that's, that's good ecclesiology. I, I, ecclesiology, the study of the church, again, the ecclesia, uh, ecclesia means called out ones. Um, that's what we are, called out from the world and placed into this organism called the church. And so I just encourage you to have that mindset that this is important. Church is important. We need you, and you need us. You need to be sitting under the Word of God. You need to be ministering to others. Uh, perhaps the sermon is something you've already heard before. It's, all not, it's not new, but the guy next to you may need for you to pray with them. Maybe that's what you're here for. But you need to have that mindset of how can I serve? What can I do? And you can't have it with this attitude that kind of flits in and flits out of church. You just can't. So that'll be my last soapbox issue that I'll get on today, but it's really important that you understand that. Church needs you. We need you, and you need us. All right, so it's not an optional add-on uh, to our lives. Our lives in the church ought to be inseparable. Um, we are to come under the authority that Christ has himself established through the church leaders, qualified church leaders, I might add. We further said that the proper response to authority is fourfold, and these responses are, and we're going to go through for this next one, a commitment to unity. That's what we're doing today. Uh, a commitment to the reputation of Christ, what it means um, to order our lives so that we sin less, sanctification. Uh, a commitment to being led and a commitment to loving the church. And we've spent, we're going to spend, spend two weeks on loving the church because it's so very important. Uh, so this morning I'll be covering unity. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, he tells them in chapter 4, verse 3, 
Be diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Paul says in Philippians 2.2, Be of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Jesus prayed on the night before his, crucifixion, before, before his crucifixion, The glory you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may become perfectly one or unified, so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. John 17, 22 through 23. So clearly, Jesus and much of the New Testament emphasizes the importance of unity. So here's a question. What are some of the things, you know what we're going to talk about today, but what are some of the other things that might damage unity in a church? Some of you have come from churches where unity was not just damaged, but exploded. Um, we've been through difficult times here in our church too. What are some of those things that might really affect the unity of the body? What can you think of? Yeah. Who said that? Politics. Politics? Absolutely. It can shatter unity. Probably like unrepentant sin. Unrepentant sin. Yes, not dealing with sin. Absolutely. Yes. Gossip. Huge. <laughs> yeah. The, uh, one of the names for Satan is slanderer. Um, so if you want to be mo more, most like him, do that. Yeah. Theology can absolutely, and that's what we're going to talk about today, unity. That's why it's important for you to understand what we believe. Because obviously, if there's some things you don't adhere to, you're going to go, is this my church? Is this, should I be here? Now, some of the ones I'm going to talk about would be true for every evangelical church. Everyone. If you don't adhere to that, the question is, are you a believer? Are you a genuine uh, Christ follower? Anything else? Good. All those things are true. Um, uh, and so, but today um, we're going to talk about um, we're going to talk about unity of doctrine. Uh, there has to be an agreement among members regarding fundamentals of doctrine. Al Moeller, uh, who is the president of Southern uh, Seminary in Louisville, Kentucky, um, Al Moeller says this. Uh, he refers to these fundamental doctrines as first-order issues. Uh, that is, doctrines most central and essential to the Christian faith. He writes this, These first-order doctrines represent the most fundamental truths of the Christian faith, and a denial of these doctrines represent nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. Uh, I saw that happen uh, firsthand in my college and career ministry. We had, a, um, we had some helpers come alongside us, and... Um, and one of those helpers eventually told me that they didn't believe a certain thing that was in the Bible, very clearly articulated in the Bible. And I, I warned him. I said, this is just the beginning for you. I fear for your family. I fear for what's coming. Uh, and all of those things that I feared eventually came true. But it's because they, he denied the essential belief that the Bible is true and we are to submit to it. Um, so these are really, really important, these first order truths, and they are things like the authority and inerrancy of the Bible. Now that's why we lift up the Word of God so much here. Who is God and how has He manifested Himself? 
the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and how is a person made right with God, regeneration. If we get these fundamentals wrong, then Al Mohler rightly said this might lead to nothing less than an eventual denial of Christianity itself. He also, Al Mohler also categorizes second order issues as doctrines that do not call into question one's salvation, but over which there's a good faith disagreement uh, that inhibits fellowshipping, perhaps, together in the same congregation. Not always, but perhaps. Uh, these second order issues might include um, modes of baptism. Um, our Presbyterian friends would um, say that you'd be baptized as, a, as an infant. We do not believe that. We believe in believer's baptism. Um, so that's one. Um, another, um, maybe women's ordination. Now, that's a little more to, in my mind than second because the Bible seems super clear uh, on that issue. So that, that calls into question, do you really believe the words you're reading? Um, so, but some people in good conscience say that's okay. And then church government, how is your government uh, formed? We are elder rule here. A lot of Southern Baptists are elder-led congregation rule. Um, and so the congregation has the ultimate authority, and we believe that's backwards. So we don't do that here. But again, second order, right? You can have somebody in the church who thinks that congregations ought to have the ultimate say and still fellowship in the same congregation. Um, it's possible. So of these... Second order issues, Muller says, many of the most heated disagreements among serious believers takes place at that level. Uh, for these issues frame our understanding of the church and its ordering by the word of God. Uh, true. Third order issues, Muller writes, are doctrines over which Christians may disagree and remain in close fellowship even within local congregations like end times. Um, everybody and their brother has a, a theory about end times, you know, and when now, now that, you know, things are going on in Israel, we're all saying, is this it? Is this it? You know, so we have these discussions. We do have certain things we believe here. Uh, did you all read Rich's pastoral letter? Did, how many did not? You need to read that. Uh, it, was, it, it was a treatise. Is that right? Yeah. It was really well spoken and articulated. So much so that it made a Cripplegate, I don't know, Cripplegate's a podcast on, online, and they picked it up and ran with it. Um, so it, it, it's a good, really solid explanation of the, of the whole thing. It brings it down to what really matters, and that is the gospel, opening our mouths, preaching the truth, um, because that's what the world needs. But he didn't discard the uh, heinous atrocities that Israel just suffered. He did not discard that at all. In fact, he acknowledged it and said that they have every right to defend themselves as a country. So, but it's really good. If you didn't get to read that, uh, you know, grab it. If you're not on the email list for church, you need to do that too. What's that? We got ours. Yeah. yeah. Did we get it Friday? Yeah. Yeah, well, if you didn't, have somebody forward it to you, and you can read that. It is, it, it'll take you a few minutes, because it, it wasn't, I'm like, this is what Rich does when he doesn't have to preach, you know. He writes books. <laughs> so uh, it's really well said. Uh, I hope you guys will read that. Anyway, um, so even if uh, there are these disagreements and strongly held opinions exist, uh, love and charity toward one another has to prevail. 
love and charity. Having said all of that, the elders at NCC, we do believe it's important for everyone who joins this church to understand what we uniformly teach on first, second, and third order doctrinal issues. Uh, just because some doctrines may be considered second or third order doesn't mean these doctrines are unimportant, such as eschatology. Uh, it just means that we ought not to use someone's good faith, biblically defended difference on that subject to reject them as a brother or a sister in Christ and stir up division within the universal or local church. We have had people here in our church who hold to a much different view of the end times, and we've allowed them to teach with the understanding this doesn't become their soapbox issue. And they, it, we really didn't need to say it to this brother uh, because he has such a strong view of unity and, and eschatol, I mean ecclesiology, so we didn't have to do that with him. But still, there has to be this, don't make this your soapbox. It creates division. Um, and end time stuff really creates division. So you want to be very, very careful about that. Um, Unity is far more important than um, agreement on these, these uh, lesser issues. Um, I, I bring to mind one of these things, uh, one of these uh, particular examples. The differences on baptism. Um, you guys heard of R.C. Sproul, right? R.C. and John MacArthur? <coughs> Close friends. Totally disagreed on baptism. Um, in fact, I believe MacArthur went into his pulpit, R.C.'s pulpit, and once said, R.C., come on, let's do this, let's do believer's baptism and complete the Reformation. What do you say? You know? And, uh, and, they could, and R.C.'s like, come on, John. You know? But those guys, those guys loved each other dearly and locked arms and fought for the gospel. Um, and their, their example, I think, was almost more powerful than the things that they said of what it means to be brothers in Christ, lock arms for the very, very important issues, um, and, and still uh, love each other dearly. R.C. has since gone on to be with the Lord. Um, well, we believe it's only right and fair for you to know our doctrinal positions before you decide to join us. Um, likewise, if you do decide to join us, it's only right and fair for you to humbly submit to the teaching here, and should you have a different view on one of these lesser issues, commit to speak evil of no one. This is Titus 3.2. Speak evil of no one, avoid quarreling, be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. That's what we're asking. Moreover, as discussed earlier, the elder's expectation is that every member will be, Ephesians 4.3, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. That's what we're asking. Churches split over, over these little issues, and it Satan's clapping, and the Holy Spirit is grieved. If you do ever have a question or a disagreement about any teaching here at this church, rather than potentially stir up division within the body, please come and see one of us to discuss your views. I've had that happen out of this class over my favorite restaurant uh, sandwich, a McDonald's. a McDonald's, yes, Chris, yes. Now that's a double A. Um, uh, you get an H. Is it a Big Mac? Or uh, uh, no, it's an Egg McMuffin. Oh. Uh, you just went back down to a B. You get the Egg McMuffin. Um, and, and at the end of that conversation, uh, and I'll tell you about what it was as we get to it, um, we just both agreed to disagree, and he decided this was not going to be the place where he could be. And we hugged. And that's exactly the way it should be. He's at a, street not too, uh, a church not too far up the street. Um, down the road on 44 and that's how it works that's how it works <clears throat> just so you know 
the booklet, Discovering NCC, that you have in front of you if you don't, um, has some of what we're about to cover. Also, you can find more information, doctrinal information, on our church website, so go to that. Uh, obviously, what we say here in the next few minutes won't be exhaustive, um, and I wanted to point this out to you. If you want to be exhaustive and really get into it, um, we're using this. This is MacArthur's Systematic Theology book that came out recently, just the last couple of years. Um, and this goes through each one of the major doctrines. Um, and it's easy to read. It's not hard. It's not one of those where you're scratching your head going, I have no idea what that guy just said. Uh, he's really good. A good, uh, a good teacher makes difficult subjects easy to understand. If you go in or a teacher, like a philosophy teacher in university, and you're going, I have no idea what he's, he, then he didn't do his job. He didn't do his job. But MacArthur, it's good. So, and then this is what we're using in the forge right now. We'll talk about pneumatology, P-N-E-U, like pneumonia. Um, study of the Spirit. Uh, this, we're using this book to go through that in forge. We're doing the Holy Spirit now. We did Christology, and we did uh, theology proper, which is the study of uh, God the Father. So I recommend all those books. This one, by the way, was written by um, Costi Hinn. That last name ring a bell? Yeah. Costi Hinn? Yeah. Benny Hinn's nephew. nephew. Yeah. Have you read it? I haven't read it. No. But I've listened. I read Costi Hinn's letter to Benny Hinn telling him that he was basically a heretic. He did it in love, yeah. but it was very difficult Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he told the truth. And, and, and uh, I read his personal testimony just this week, this past yeah. week. We were down in Branson, and the guy I was with had it, and he let me read it. He went through, I mean, when you realize your ladder is leaning up against the wrong wall, and everything you've put your hope in is wrong, and it should have been leaning on this wall, it's gut-wrenching as repentance is. It's often gut-wrenching. And for Costi Hinn, who wrote this book, it was gut-wrenching. So he since wrote a book on, on the study of the Spirit, the proper understanding of the, the Holy Spirit and His role in our life. So I recommend that one to you too. All right, so we're going to start with the Bible. Uh, we strive to ensure everything we teach and do as a church is grounded in and faithful to the Word of God. It's our only fully trustworthy and sufficient authority. The Bible is the Word of God, fully inspired, without error in the original manuscripts. It was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It has supreme and sole authority in all matters of faith and conduct. We start there. Everything we teach and do comes out of the text of the Bible. Now, so if you have a light-hearted view of the Bible, eh, some of it's true, some of it's not, um, we need to talk because that's not what we hold here. And I hope you'll stay and continue to come and see why we believe this thing is the Word of God. Um, it's amazing. 2 Timothy 3, 16 to 17 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All of that is true. I have, um, my son not only got a doctrine of, uh, a um, master's of um, um, theology, but he got also a, a master's in counseling. And um, he and one of our other kids who was studying psychology got into a discussion, and his, his question was for her, tell me, what ultimate hope do you give your counselees? dead silence. 
uh, psychology can be good in perhaps diagnosing some things, but in terms of really helping the inner man and the heart issues behind everything, not so good. Um, so that's why the Bible is so, so important. Um, uh, 2 Timothy 1, 20 to 21 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And perhaps the greatest argument for believing that the Bible is true and without error is the testimony of Jesus himself. Jesus said, your word is truth. That young man that I was having conversations with, uh, this is where I went. I said, what, what about the, the Savior you claim to hold to? What about him? What about his words? Uh, Jesus believed and referred to many of the Old Testament stories and characters as historical fact. Uh, the creation of the universe, Adam and Eve, the fall of man, Noah and the flood, Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Sodom and Gomorrah, Lot, Jonah and the whale, the prophets, King David, Jesus quoted extensively from the Psalms and the prophets, all came out of Jesus' mouth. He believed all of that. And if this is the one you're claiming died for your sins, you better listen to what he says. It's very important what Jesus says. So to reject the authority of the Bible is to reject the authority of Jesus himself. And Kevin DeYoung put it this way in his book. He said, uh, Taking God at His Word, another really good one that we went through in Forge. Um, if you get a chance to read that one, it's really well, well done. And Kevin DeYoung's another guy that's brilliant but able to make things understandable. Uh, he said this, quote, Jesus believed Scripture was the Word of God, and as such it would be gross impiety to think that any word spoken by God or committed to writing by God might be an errant word, a wrong word, or a broken word. So, um, we believe also that there may be many applications. Hey, Ethan, I'm going to finish this one section on the Bible, and then you're on, okay? Uh, there may be many applications uh, in a given passage, um, but there's only one intended meaning and true interpretation. Admittedly, sometimes it's hard to get to that. That's why the Bible says study, work hard to show yourself approved. It takes time. The meaning of Scripture is best found when one diligently applies the principles of hermeneutics, which are the principles of how to study the Bible. That's what that word means such as the literal, grammatical, historical method of biblical interpretation under the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit. Um, this is what Rich does every week. He opens the Word. He spends hours. Uh, he gets up early. I know that because um, he sends us texts. <laughs> I'm like, did you go to bed? Uh, and he's up really early studying because that's the best time for him to study because his kids have to get up and go to school. Things get weird. You know how that is. Uh, um, I'm wearing my socks, you know, and so he's, he's got his head in the Bible for hours at a time before his family's even up and stirring, and he's doing that for you. He's doing that for the honor and glory of God. He's doing it because he wants to get the text right. He wants to make sure that when he speaks to us, he's done at least as much work as he can to make it clear and make it right. So it's a big deal because he adheres to the Bible being the Word of God. So Jesus said in John 16, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. And a number of other verses, I think, that are in your 
little booklet. No, it's the responsibility of believers to carefully ascertain the true intent. That We call that the authorial intent. What did the author intend by what he wrote? Um, what did he mean? Uh, and the meaning of Scripture, recognizing that proper application is binding on all generations. So we'll, go, we'll move into the Trinity in just a minute. Um, Ethan, uh, I, I mentioned uh, Ethan's here, and I mentioned him earlier. Um, it's good for us to know. Ethan, I'll say this in front of you. It's good for us to know I've always cared about a person who's leading us in worship. Um, What are they really like? When you pull back the veil um, and they're off the stage, what are they like? Um, I remember uh, listening to a um, Christian, uh, one of my favorite Christian singers, um, and then found out uh, that she had... um, had an affair, and it wasn't even dealt with. And I thought, I, she's the best singer I've ever heard. I can't listen to her anymore. I just can't. It matters to me who's leading us, and that's why we have Ethan leading us, because we all have such great respect for this young man. Um, he would be the Timothy where, where Paul says to Timothy, don't let people look down on you because of your age. Um, uh, he's mature way beyond his years and uh, teaches me. Um, so, uh, Ethan, come on up with that uh, little introduction and try to be humble as you, <laughs> as you tell us. Do you need this? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I won't put my coffee on. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. Yeah, no, that's fine. Okay. Uh, my name is Ethan, and I am not the best singer you've ever heard. As you can probably tell. Oh, okay. This is uh, for the record, yeah. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> the end. Yes. Yeah. And we'll get a transcript of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Um, it's great to be here. Um, I actually have been through the new members class probably, I don't know, six or seven years ago. Um, But I've been attending this church my whole life, actually. Um, I I grew up here. My parents are um, faithful Christians. I I love them to death. And um, they brought me here every week. Um, And so if any of you have um, children in the kids ministry or, um, you know, older in, in the youth ministry, I grew up with all of the exact same faithful teaching um, and service um, and proclamation of God's word that they get every week. Um, in fact, I think some of the people who teach classes here were teaching classes when I was their age. Um, and so, you know, I, I grew up in, in children's ministry um, and, and in youth ministry, and, and I knew the Bible. Um, I, I, was, I was, I guess, comparatively well-behaved. I wasn't, you know, running around breaking stuff and, and picking on kids, you know, as it were. Um, but I was very proud. Um, I, I saw knowledge of the Bible as something that made me better than other kids. Um, and it, it had no impact on my life. Um, Christianity was a culture that I lived in. Um, it was not a, a faith that lived in me um, until I was in middle school. Um, and actually, it was Doug's son, Josh, who was uh, preaching a, a winter retreat um, that weekend. And that's really the first time that I um, recognized the severity of God's judgment for sin. Um, I, of course, was a sinner. Um, I, I misbehaved and, and disobeyed my parents all the time. Um, you know, that, that is not unique. Um, but I never understood the importance um, and the immediacy of God's judgment of sin, um, and how I was a sinner, 
and that applied to me, that I stood in the way of the asteroid of God's wrath. And I couldn't get out of the way. It's so big and I'm so small. There was nothing that I could do to get out of the way of it. Um, and at the same time, the balance, I still remember um, that weekend was just incredible. The balance of God's judgment, but also his mercy um, in the person of Christ and how you know, Christ did not just you know, come in and kind of nudge the asteroid out of the way so it didn't hit me. Like he stood in the way of it. Um, and, and he took all of that for me and it was no longer applied to my account. His grace was applied to my account instead. Um, and that weekend is when uh, the Lord saved me, made me alive um, in Christ. I, I repented um, of my sins. Um, I trusted in Christ um, for, for salvation. Um, and I saw the kindness of Christ um, in a new way. I took my trust away from my own obedience and good behavior compared to other people, and I put it in the person of Christ, um, where it rightly belongs. And from that point, it, it's very clear to me how things changed um, in my life. Um, he, he gave me a greater desire to know and practice God's word. Um, like I said, I already knew the Bible from growing up here every week, um, but seeing it in a new way and understanding how I am supposed to follow in the commands of God um, and trying to live that out um, was, was new for me. Um, you know, at, through high school, I, I got more opportunities to uh, serve the church, I guess particularly when it comes to music, but in a lot of other ways as well, in children's ministry and and things like that, um, and just growing in my love for the people of God, um, and and growing in my desire to serve them, um, and and see them come to Christ and grow in Christ, and and college I think was the the chance I got to put all that into practice. I had not been in a culturally hostile environment until I got to church, or I'm sorry, until I got to college. Wow, that's the opposite. Of that. <laughs> until I got to college, I had not been in an environment that was like opposed to my faith. And so that's really where like the rubber hit the road and I, I found out how real my faith actually was, how solid that trust in the Lord actually was. Um, and so being able to interact with people who are not Christians um, or being able to interact with people who are um, of a different faith, you know, Roman Catholics or people who are more charismatic or, or even you know, people like Muslims, um, I, I interacted with in college, and that's where I think the Lord did his greatest work in solidifying my uh, trust in his sovereignty um, to watch over me, to guide me in the paths of righteousness, um, and he gave me a community of believers at college um, that I, I don't know who I would be on the other side if it wasn't for that. Um, being a part of the local church and the part of a campus ministry um, to, to have believers around me who could encourage me and build me up um, was, was invaluable to me in college. And, and when I finished college and moved back here, I, I don't know if there was really anywhere else I wanted to be. Um, I, I, didn't, I didn't really even do much like due diligence of like what church I wanted to go to. I knew it was this one because I knew that the preaching of God's word was exactly the same as it had always been as a child. Um, that the leadership of the church, you know, which there was some new leadership by that point, but there was uh, some of the, you know, old pastors still there as well, that they could be trusted 
um, that I could submit to them, and it would be as submitting unto the Lord um, because they were following him diligently and seeking the best uh, for his people. And so that's how I knew that this was the church that I wanted to be in when I actually had the chance to pick one. Um, you know, growing up, I obviously didn't have a choice of going to another church or even not going to church. Um, I was going to this one. But when I had the chance, I knew that this was the one I wanted to be a part of, um, not just because it was familiar to me or because I knew the people, um, but because I knew that I would be uh, fed and served well and that I would grow in my faith. Um, and, and again, I had opportunities to serve. Um, you know, most notably, I would say, um, in music. And there's a, there's a very, uh, you know, kind of crazy turn of events that led to me being where I am right now. And, and again, everything that has happened, um, you know, through college, um, after college, you know, being an adult is just more evidence of the providence of God um, in my life to bring me to where I am, to leading music, to being a deacon, even to being married. Um, you know, the, I can connect that chain of events um, you know, from one to the other in these different areas of my life, they are all connected. Um, and I've never been more convinced, like I said, of the providence of God, um, that he watches over me, that he has a good plan for my life and that I can know what that is, uh, by reading his word. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of where I am today. Um, I guess I probably should have started by introducing my wife. Um, it's my wife, Karen, in the back. We Today is our five-week anniversary. Um, if you have any questions about marriage, he's got all the answers. Yes, yes. But but even, even only being married for five weeks, I know I probably don't know much and I don't have much confidence to speak of, but I already know that, like, God's greatest tool of growth and sanctification in my life is going to be her, like, without a doubt. I, there are ways that I have grown in understanding and patience um, and conviction even over my own sin as a result of, of being with Kara that um, I wouldn't have had otherwise. Um, so I'm incredibly grateful for her. Questions? So, but, oh, there's Q&A. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go ahead. This is your chance. Yeah. Grilling. Let them have it. All right. No questions? I'm sorry? I was at Mizzou. Oh, okay. Yep. So. Anything else? At the graduation, he won't say this, but I will. At the graduation where there were, uh, well, I don't know, hundreds of kids. I don't know how many graduated that day when we came. Yeah. He was the speaker. Or something. He was the student speaker, and uh, you know I'm up here going, <laughs> so proud of him. Yeah. It was awesome, um, but that's the kind of influence he has. Uh, uh, even um, secular peers looked at him and said, "You know what?" Uh, and the and the the faculty said, "This is the guy we want to speak to our our group of kids." So yeah, yeah. Uh, any other comments or questions? Okay. And congratulations to you two on your marriage. It's very exciting. Um, Do you have a moment to speak to us of how you decide on the songs or how? What, oh yeah. What is worship? Yeah. How is that? That that is a very good question. Um, I a lot of times I I try to look at um, you know the sermon or the text that Rich is going to preach through, um, and and just see if there are any songs we have um, that connect with that like. This week, for instance, you know, he's talking about uh, the, the benefits of life. 
right, for those who are alive in Christ. And he talks about things like, uh, what is it? There's like clarity, there's um, unity, um, you know, protection, uh, things like that. And so, uh, you know, and he decided to read from uh, Romans chapter 8. Um, and so just putting those dots together, you know, sometimes songs just kind of float across your mind like, oh, in Christ alone would be perfect for that. So we'll sing that one. Um, but I'll tell you, a lot of times the, the connections that I see from the songs to the readings to the sermon, in hindsight, I did not plan, right? It's I, honestly, it is, I think, the spirit of God weaving things together to impress it on people's hearts, um, you know, what what the word of God has for us that day. So I start with the sermon, but a lot of times I'll just, you know, try to make the songs connect um, to each other, you know, those three or four songs, and then the readings on top of that, and then the spirit does the rest. So. Anything else? That's a great question. Okay. Thanks. Great. Really That's what I got. It. Yeah, appreciate thanks for having me. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah, get to know him. Um, you will love him just like we love him. And uh, he's been a blessing to this church in so many ways. Uh, sometimes the prayers that he says are so impactful on me personally. Um, just grateful. Ethan, for your leadership. Uh, I know you're talking to my wife there. but uh, She's getting me that food. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's going to join us for the rest of the class, and then he'll go back in and do the second service. So, again, thank you, Yvonne. And you work full-time, too, correct? I do, yeah. In addition to That's really good to say. Yeah, this is just a part-time thing for him. Um, uh, and, and, and he spends a lot of time working on this for our benefit. Uh, they also uh, practice once a week, I believe, on Tuesdays. Um, they're here every Tuesday, the, the group, and he's the one that organizes all that. And, you know... Um, yeah, so um, Ethan's the behind-the-scenes guy. He's the guy that we have tapped and said, you, you're in charge here. Uh, you have problems. Come to us. And I think Jeremiah's kind of over you, right? And so you have issues you can go to him on. But um, he has just done I, – I, I can't sing his praises enough for what he's done in terms of um, – especially uh, four years ago, we went through a difficult time, and he just smoothly transitioned – into that leadership role. And I was like, wow, where has he been? Um, uh, but he was behind the scenes, and the Lord knew. And so we're, we're grateful to you. Um, so grateful to you, Ethan, and excited for you and Kara and your journey together. Um, okay, so uh, now we're back to the Trinity. Um, uh, there is uh, one living and true God, eternally existing in three persons, and these persons are equal in every divine perfection as they execute providence and redemption. Uh, a bunch of verses there that I think are in your book. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. <coughs> There's the three together. And then Mark 1, 10 to 11 says, And when he came up out of the water, this is Jesus' baptism, Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved Son, with you I am well pleased. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, together. Um, other verses you can reference are uh, there. Um, I would be the first to admit that any attempt at understanding the Trinity or any illustration of it falls short. Um, someone once said trying to understand the Trinity might force you under a bed, saying the Greek alphabet 
backwards. <laughs> uh, let God be as he has chosen to reveal himself, whether or not your mind can grasp it. I cannot grasp it. You cannot grasp it. Um, uh, let God be God. Um, so uh, we, we recently, Rich recently attempted uh, the best he could to explain the Trinity and it, it, its nuances and all that. And he mentioned something, and we're all, I'm kind of glazed, my eyes are glazed. And um, he said, it's not like your brain uh, with its neurons and your arms. And all I heard was Marv Schaefer say, my brain has morons. So I didn't hear anything else that Rich said. If you knew Marv Schaefer, you'd know that was funny. And, uh, but Rich was doing the best he could. Uh, with a, such a difficult subject. So, of course, we don't understand that fully, but we do believe Father, Son, Holy Spirit, uh, three in one. Um, and all sorts of verses um, indicate that. The, I'm not going to get into all that. We just don't have the time. Um, God the Father, that's theology proper. Um, I always thought theology proper was just the proper way to study theology. No, theology proper means the study of God the Father. <coughs> So God the Father is an infinite personal spirit, perfect in holiness, wisdom, power, and love. We believe that he concerns himself mercifully in the affairs of men, that he hears and answers prayer, that he saves from sin and death all who come to him through Jesus Christ. A number of verses there again. John 3.16 is perhaps the most well-known verse in the Bible and clearly shows how God has concerned himself mercifully in the affairs of men. You all know it. Um, and we should never take it for granted. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. <clears throat> and a man that was witnessing to me as a young man put my name in there. He said, Doug, for God so loved you that he gave his only begotten son, that if you believe in him, you will not perish, but have everlasting life. And it hit me, and I made it personal. Uh, we recently went through a study of theology proper on God the Father and Christology, God the Son, in our Men's Forge Bible study on Friday mornings, and we're currently studying, as I said earlier, uh, pneumatology, God the Holy Spirit. We do have about 100 men joining us Friday. Men, if you're not there, you should be there, 6.30 to 7.30 on Friday mornings. Um, a lot of guys have to work, so they scoot out of there really fast. Uh, we do have small groups that uh, begin either before or after. Um, I remember the first time we decided to do this, uh, we all thought, as elders, we all thought, man, it'd be so cool if we could get 20 guys to come. That'd be so cool. And the first day, there were 80 men there. <laughs> Whoa, there is a thirst for this. And then it it's, it's went to 100, and it kind of hovers around there. So if you get a chance, I know some of you work and you just can't, your hours don't allow it. But it is awesome. You can also live stream it. Ladies, a lot of the ladies live stream that thing at 6.30 in the morning. So you can do that too. It's also recorded. So it's recorded, so you can go, go back and look. It's good stuff. Um, yeah, um, I mean, I, yeah, Rich just does a fantastic job. Uh, and sometimes Alex will sub for him. Uh, he's as clear. Uh, and uh, Bruce has subbed. We've had Jerry sub. Um, so it's always good. It's always informative. I, I really encourage you to catch it in some form. Uh, being there is better. Um, God the Son. Uh, Jesus Christ is God's only begotten Son, conceived by the Holy Spirit. We believe in his virgin birth, his sinless life, his miracles, his teachings. We believe in his substitutionary atoning death, his bodily resurrection, ascension into heaven, perpetual intercession for his people, and his personal visible 
return to earth. So I, I glossed over those. I don't want to gloss over those things. Those are very, very important. If you have an issue with any of those things, you need to talk to us about that. Um, and hopefully he'll be back soon because <laughs> the world's getting more and more difficult, more and more complex. Uh, some verses regarding the deity of Christ are John 1.1 1, 1 and 1.12, John 20.28. 20, this is really good where Thomas bows to Jesus and says, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus wasn't God, what should he have done? What should Thomas is bowed? What's that? Rebuked him. Get up. What are you doing? I'm a man, which is what some did um, when they were uh, worshiped. Jesus never, uh, he always accepted worship. That is blasphemous, and that's one of the strongest view, uh, reasons, one of mine, for believing he is God. He should have, imagine the arrogance of accepting worship as God when you're not. I mean, it's ridiculous, but Jesus did. So he had no problem with that because he was God and is. John 1.1 1, 1, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God. And then it goes on to explain that He was the creator of the universe. Your Savior was also your creator. Some verses regarding the deity of Christ I've mentioned. There are other instances where Je Jesus freely received worship other than Thomas. Um, John eight fifty eight, Jesus declared that He was the great I Am of the Old Testament. Um, don't think that wasn't true because the, the Pharisees realized what he was saying. And what did they do? What did they do? Well, they tried. But at that point, they picked up stones. And they should have. That's absolutely the correct response if he's not who he said he is. They were wrong about that, but they were right in their attitude. Who do you... And they picked up stones to stone him. The Bible says he just kind of slipped out. Wish I was a fly on the wall to see how that slip goes, you know. But he just, he got out. It wasn't his time. Another verse that I think is one of the strongest, Colossians 2.9, uh, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead, for in him all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in bodily form. That's Jesus. And there are other instances where he freely received worship. I didn't, I didn't mention those, but I, I think those are the strongest uh, that's the strongest case for me because it's so ridiculous that he would ever receive that if he wasn't who he said he was. Okay, let's move on. The Holy Spirit, pneumatology. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity who came forth from the Father and the Son to convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And he also came to regenerate, sanctify, empower all who believe in Christ. We believe that the Holy Spirit indwells every believer in Christ and that he is an abiding helper, teacher, and guide. John 14, 16, and then Romans 18, or 8, rather, 13 and 26. We believe that speaking in tongues, that is, the miraculous ability to speak in a known, foreign, intelligible language, that's what we believe it is, and the working of sign miracles through certain selected individuals has gradually ceased Listen carefully, having achieved their divine purpose, which was the authenticating of both the apostles as spokesmen for God. Very important. Uh, how, how, why do we believe these guys? Well, look what they're doing. Uh, and their gospel message. So it authenticated both the men and the message. And, and we don't think that these things are needed today. 
uh, the question has been asked of me, do you think God could give the gift of tongues, a known language? Could he give it to you, Mitchell? Could he help you understand French without having ever studied it? Could he? He could. He could. He could. Of course he could. But we don't see that happening. And the reason is he doesn't need to. Now, I've heard of things that he's doing in dark, spiritually dark areas of the world. We have a missionary here who's told me some stories that, you know, uh, just jaw-dropping of things that God is doing and allowing things, uh, miraculous things, to occur in those severely dark spiritual places. Uh, But uh, for the most part, those things are not happening. We believe these sign gifts ended with the completion of the canon of Scripture, again, having completed their divine purpose in the time frame of God's redemptive history. But of course, of course, he does miracles. Um, Of course he does. Um, I think I experienced one. Uh, Years ago, I was uh, headed to the hospital with pancreatitis. It was my second bout, and I was in the hospital for the first time for a week. Same thing happened, and I thought, oh, here we go. Here we go. Exact same pain and everything. I was in the in my shower, just trying to get ready, going, oh, Lord, I don't want to do this. It's going to be so... And I just, please, would you please just take it away? And I am not kidding you. Just like that, that pain was gone. And I never dealt with pancreatitis again. We don't know why it came. We don't know why it left. All I know is I asked the Lord. I begged him, please, take it. And he did. So God does things like that. Some people would say, oh, it was probably the pizza you ate the night before. You had a little indigestion. You were fine. I know what it felt like. I knew exactly what it was. I had been, it felt like somebody shot me in the stomach with a shotgun. Pancreatitis is nothing to play around with. People who are alcoholics often experience it because they've shot their pancreas drinking so much alcohol. I wasn't an alcohol drinker. It just flared up and I knew exactly what I was experiencing. I felt like somebody punched me in the stomach really hard. And I prayed and it was instantaneously gone. So things happen, right? These things happen. Sometimes God does miracles. Um, We're not saying that at all. We're just saying that overall, those things have passed away. They're no longer necessary. Why? Because we have this. Because we have this. And why do I say that's true? Well, Luke 16, Lazarus and the rich man. Remember what the, what the rich man said? Please, if, if someone comes back from the dead, please, Father Abraham, they'll believe. And what was Abraham's response? They have the word of God and they have the prophets. They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. No, that's not going to matter. And we found that out to be true. Lazarus was raised from the dead. Uh, what did they do? They, they picked up stones to kill him. Jesus rose from the dead and they didn't believe. So not even if somebody raises from the dead will they believe. Um, so we know we have the word of God. We don't need that now. And by the way, knowing that as a believer, you just need to open this thing. It's like a lion in a cage. Just let the lion out and let it do its work. Just speak the truth. Um, I remember talking to a guy about uh, works and faith and works and uh, why it was so, uh, why he, his, his idea, his understanding of trying to work his way to heaven was wrong. And I said, look, brother, it's, it's not by works of righteousness which you have done. It's according to his mercy that he saved you. And he goes, well, Doug, that's your interpretation. What did I just do? Anybody know? Yeah, it's Titus 3.5. I quoted it. I said, no, no, it was so clear, you got it. It's not my interpretation. It's what the Bible says. So just let the word out and, and watch it do its work. Um, so regeneration. 
Um, have I been there? No. All of mankind are sinners by imputation, nature, and by choice, and are therefore under God's condemnation. Those who turn from their rebellion against God, we talked about that last week, which always results in a new desire to turn away from sins. Always. Um, but when the reason I, I, I think I've said this, the reason I don't like turn from your sin is who in this room has done that completely? Who's the perfect one here? I'm sorry. Oh, Lynn, sorry. Uh, of course. Yeah, she had her hand way up. Yeah. Um, of, of course not. Uh, we don't, but that's the process of sanctification. But, but in your turning from your rebellion, when things are, when you're confronted with certain sins, you go, oh, your heart is soft now. Uh, if your husband or wife says, you know, you were really, you know, you're right. I was harsh. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It might take you a little while because of your pride and arrogance, but it, it eventually gets through. Um, and, and so uh, that's, the, that's an evident sign of the fact that you've turned and you're regenerated is you've stopped rebelling. And so you've turned from your rebellion and therefore turned from your desire to sin and trust, and you trust only in Christ as your Savior. They're the ones that are regenerated by the Holy Spirit. And we believe that salvation with its forgiveness of sins, its imparting of the new nature and its hope of eternal life is only by God's grace. We cannot earn it. We cannot contribute to it by moral living, acts of sacrifice, church membership, communion, baptism, or any other good work. If you came from a religious system where you're convinced that you have to work your way to heaven, um, we're telling you that is not true, that the Bible is very clear that what Jesus did on that cross was complete and sufficient. Uh, I had this conversation. Did I mention this to you? In my favorite restaurant, McDonald's. And it was a guy that I've been talking to and trying to share Christ with uh, from um, a Catholic background. And um, he said, I'm just hoping that I'm good enough. Um, very sincere, very sincere, hoping I'm good enough. And, uh, and then he even said, I haven't, I don't think I've sinned in the last three weeks. Um, and I said, we need to talk. And so at that point, yeah, yeah you're laughing. Yeah, right. Yeah, that, that's a level of self-righteousness, right? But, but he has to say that because, goodness, if he's depending on his goodness to get to heaven, he's, he's got to fool himself. He's got to rationalize. And, and so I said, look, um, let's just talk. Let's look at it this way. You and I are standing at the foot of the cross. Jesus is dying on the cross. The blood is dripping from his head, from the crown. He's agonizingly trying to breathe. And you go up to him and say, I appreciate what you're doing, but let me just drape a little bit of my self-righteous good works over that cross to help you out. I said, do you see what that does? Absolutely trivializes what he's doing. Absolutely trivializes what he's doing. No, bow, bow. Don't say, oh, let me help you. Just bow. Um, so that's why it's so important that you understand that what Christ did is complete and total. I got to know. Yeah. How did he respond to it? Uh, how did he? Lynn was right there. Um, he was chained by the gospel and ended up coming back. Yeah, it's a hard wall. It's a hard wall. Um, I think we got him thinking. Um, yeah, um, and he didn't. I, I thought, well, I hope he doesn't not come anymore, but he did, and we just got invited to his 70th birthday party. So that's awesome, right? Um, so he was listening, um, 
but uh, hopefully we're, we're slowly breaking through that wall of self-righteous arrogance and pride. Um, it's hard to do. I'd rather speak to somebody that's not religious than somebody that is because it's really hard to break through that stuff. Um, you've seen it in your own families, perhaps. Um, okay, Galatians 2.21. Uh, you want to memorize a verse on works and not works? Uh, this is the one. I do not make void or nullify the grace of God, or frustrate, the King James says. Uh, I do not nullify, make void the grace of God. If righteousness comes by the law, then Christ somebody, was, in vain. was in vain. Then Christ died for no reason. That is so good, right? Galatians 2.21. Memorize that one. Titus 3.5, I just mentioned it. It's not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. These, just a couple of verses like that in your conversations with your friends will really help. These are the things that we believe, so that's primarily why we're telling you this. And we also hold to a reformed view of salvation, and I'll explain that in a minute, as did Jonathan Edwards, John Calvin, William Carey, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, John MacArthur, R.C. Sproul, Al Mohler, many others. And this means, this means that we teach the biblical doctrine of election. Um, Election is the eternal act of God in which he in his sovereign and good pleasure and on account of no foreseen merit in those who are his elect chooses certain persons to be the recipients of his saving grace. In fact, Ephesians 1 says, chose them when? Before the foundation of the world. Before the foundation of the world. Long before you were even born. Long before this world was around. He chose you to be his. Uh, praise his holy name. Does that mean we don't witness? No. Nope. No, it does not. We have a responsibility, and we open our mouths. Um, we, we also teach that all of the redeemed, once saved, are kept by God's power and are thus secure in Christ forever. Uh, John six thirty seven. all that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never, ever cast out. Verse 39 says, and this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. Is that good news? <laughs> Is that good news? <laughs> I mean, uh, Chris, we are both sinners. Yes. yes, and it's good news to know that our sin is not going to be the thing that kicks us out. I, I tell this to people all the time. I'm not going to go to my boys uh, when they were younger and say, that's it. That's it's the last milk you spill. Pack your bags, get out of my house. It's never going to happen, even if they're rebellious in much worse ways than being childishly irresponsible. Uh, I'm not going to kick them out of their house. They're mine. They're mine. Um, now, there may come a time when you may have to discipline it. The illustration breaks down a little bit. You know, we had eight kids, and one of them we had to finally say, you're going to have to go live somewhere else. But that was to create, to continue to create a strong and warm and loving relationship, which we have to this day. So... Verse 44 says, uh, John 44 says, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. Ephesians 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we just mentioned this, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. So we do believe that God does choose. It does not mean we don't witness uh, I carry these wherever I go. Wherever I go, I carry these, and I hand them out like candy. And I tell people this. Hey, I hope you'll read this. Mitchell, I hope you'll read that. 
It's the most important thing you'll ever read in your entire life, I promise. And I leave it with them, and I've never had somebody go, get out of here. They always grab it, only one, turned it away, and then he proceeded to tell me about all his sin exploits. So it was, an, it was a, a lesson uh, in understanding that you love your sin so much you don't want to hear anything about accountability. So, all right, uh, the church, um, I'm not going to talk too much about that. We talked about that last time. But um, it's important to know that the word ecclesiology uh, is the study of the church. Uh, ecclesia is, uh, means a called out ones. That's who you are if you're born again. And uh, the church is extremely important. It's not, as I said earlier, it's not something you can take or leave. It is, it's our heartbeat. Um, I, I'm an elder, of course. It's a little different. Shouldn't be should be the same for you. Um, everything I do is geared around this body of believers. Um, the time, the energy, the resources that Lynn and I pour into are poured into here um, because this is where God has called us. And if you're a member here, this is where God has called you, and you should do the same. All right, baptism. Uh, we believe in the immersion of a believer um, in water, our beliefs, uh, our beliefs are this, um, because it is a believer's baptism, this implies that one has to have the mental faculties to acknowledge their sinfulness, their inability to save themselves, their, un, their willingness to trust exclusively in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ for the salvation of their souls. Because baptism is for believers only, we do not believe in infant baptism, nor do we practice it here. And I have to say this, to be a member here, you have to have been baptized as a believer. Um, we've had a, an occasional instance where somebody's been baptized as a believer and they were sprinkled. Uh, that's okay. Uh, if their conscience bothers them in any way and they want to be immersed, that's okay too. But we do require baptism before you become a member. And a number of people out of this class you'll see in those baptismal services because they want, they want to be baptized. And, and I'll say this too. Um, occasionally someone will say, uh, and had this occasionally happen, look, I've never been baptized. I'm too embarrassed to be baptized. Um, I've been a Christian for 45 years. Uh, so I really, I'm, I don't think I can do that. And my response to that was, um, don't ever let age or, um, or pride interfere with obedience. And that's what you're doing. Um, occasionally that's been successful and sometimes no, but um, we just baptized the last time uh, across the street when we had that baptism. So our oldest recipients of baptism, um, uh, Brenda and uh, Jerry Christensen. Um, I think he's 83. Uh, so we tagged him with uh, the oldest. And it was beautiful. And then the Smiths um, in their 70s um, realized we need to do this. Mark Dever said this. He said, um, please don't let delay keep you from obedience. Baptism is an act of obedience commanded by the Lord and perhaps the easiest thing he'll ask you to do. As things get harder in this world, more difficult in this world, as persecution rises against Christians, we're, we're protected here, but I don't know how long we'll be protected. Uh, things could get much worse and our stand for Christ won't be just simply coming to church, but might be much more severe. Um, baptism might be just the easiest thing he's asked you to do. So if you haven't been baptized, please talk to us. We've got a service coming up, I think, 
Do you know, Ethan? No? Um, in December, maybe? November 21st. November 21st. Okay. So November 21st, and I know of a couple of people already that have never been baptized, and they're in their 60s, and they're going to be baptized. And I'm very, very excited about that. Um, so please, if you haven't been, it's a good way to show I'm aligned with Christ. Death, burial, resurrection, I'm not ashamed. Um, all right, and then finally, communion, the Lord's Supper. We believe it's instituted by Christ for commemoration of his death. It is our belief that these ordinances should be observed until the Lord returns. We do not teach that the elements of communion become the literal body and blood of Christ. We do teach that the bread and juice, the wine, symbolically represent the willful surrender of the body and blood of Christ in dying for our sins. We try to practice this on a monthly basis, try, uh, <clears throat> during the church service, and uh, and we do the best we can to do that because we believe it's, it's so important. Jesus said, you know, we have fallen memories, right? That's why he said, do this, what? In remembrance of me. Um, because sometimes we forget. And the older, those of us in this room who are getting older, know uh, it's harder and harder to remember things. Uh, so, all right, any questions for today? Next week we're going to talk about some, like, eschatology and a few other things, and we'll also get into protecting the reputation of Christ, uh, church discipline, what we do about that here, and how to, how to personally hold each other accountable um, in fighting sin. So any questions? All right. I'm going to do something I don't do normally, but I trust you, Chris, to close us in prayer. Would you do that? Yeah, thank you, brother. Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you so much for the local church. We just thank you that you use the local church to minister to our needs and it gives us a place to exhibit your grace in our lives, to love on those around us. So, Father, I just thank you for all that is here today, each person that you have called into this class. Lord, just uh, protect us in our minds and our hearts and continue your sanctifying work on our lives. We pray all this in Christ's perfect and holy name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Thanks for coming. We'll see you next week.